he's got a rabbit. Did this come out of Carol's ass? She's the big fish and he's just the little fish. So if Pamela's the big fish and Lance is the little fish, who's the cardboard box? <laughs> How often are we going to be coming, Adam? This podcast may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The Walking Dead, Season 11, Episode 18, New Deal. My name is Adam Henning and I'm here with my fellow zombie apocalypse survivors, Neil Shepek. Always hiding in plain sight. And Chloe Wade. Happy Founders Day, bitches. <laughs> and last but not least, Mr. Damien Cooper. Whatever game you're playing, Padamler, I'm very much in it. <laughs> well, the game I'm playing is reviewing the latest episode of The Walking Dead. And having been a bit grumpy last time round about episode 17, I'm back on board, folks. Thoroughly enjoyed this one. I'll tell you why when we get to it in the episode. But how did you find it? What do we think of this one? I loved it. I agree. I mean, what an ending. I know we'll talk about that, but I can't talk about my overall feeling about that episode without saying that the ending was just sick. Very satisfying. And all in all, I think it's just shaping up to be a really great season. I'm very excited about what's to come. I guess that makes me the resident grumple stiltskin then. I, I, there was a lot of this episode that I liked, but there were elements of the last 10, 15 minutes that I found incredibly frustrating. Great. Well, we'll get on to all of that stuff. But let's let's start at the beginning. So we had another Judith narrated intro and kind of focused on a couple of things here. So a lot about loss, giving us sort of, again, a, a little gallery of people we'd lost, people like Denise and Herschel and Carl and Beth and Merle, but also about Daryl's journey and sort of seeing him throughout the different seasons as he's progressed. I thought that was foretelling a major death in this episode, I thought it was going to be one of the survivors, someone who Judith was attached to. And spoilers, that didn't happen. Um, I thought one of the survivors would go. I do think that The Walking Dead has been very good about kind of promoting a sustainable lifestyle and kind of very nuanced connection with climate change and kind of what's happening with our race and... You know, the young people are the future. And the fact that they've got Judith, the first two episodes, maybe this will be something they'll do for late. I just love seeing Merle again, one of my favourite characters towards the end of his life in the show. And it just reminds me, I know we had it as one of our throwback episodes a, a while ago, but that final episode where he passes and just how fantastic Norman is in that episode too. So it was it was lovely for me to have that kind of brief remembrance of some absolutely great performances. Yeah, definitely. I like what she was saying about you hear the voices of those that have passed and that's in a way of remembering them. If you can hear their voices or if you can remember their faces and know their stories, that's a way of keeping them alive, which I think is a really lovely sentiment. Speaking of voices, we got Rick and Michonne both in this as well. Some some of their voices from the past, which was a nice touch, I thought. But yeah, some of those some of those characters that flashed up on the screen were some of the most shocking or impactful deaths. You know, people like Beth and and Denise as well was another big surprise death when it happened. The start of the episode, I thought, was just brilliant. And this was my all caps on my notes, I am back on board moment. Just as the Mexican standoff that we ended the episode with, we're back there. Pamela storms in with Carol, Negan and Mercer. Conveniently timed, I might say. Yeah, what do we think of this? This is my first issue, is the timing of all that. It felt like such a lame way of getting out of that standoff. And it happened so quickly, which I think was a bit of a cop-out. Yeah, I think the pacing in this these first two episodes of this last chunk have been a little bit funky, let's say. Pamela tells us that she needs Lance alive. Mercer, first of all, tries to get Daryl to let him go. And Daryl tells him he's got to do what he's got to do. And then Carol steps in and he says, what have you done? And she tells him she's made a deal. Yes, I think if anyone can kind of talk Daryl down, it's going to be Carol. I love that. What have you done? Because you never know with Carol. I quite liked that moment there between the two of them that she can kind of talk him down. If anyone can talk Daryl down, it'll be Carol. And same with Maggie to an extent as well, because we move on to Maggie saying that if this will keep people alive, then we should do this. And I think that was quite important. And also 
Pamela wants Hornsby to save her son. See how that worked out. Yeah, I just like the kind of almost petulant look that Lance gives Daryl afterwards. And then, you know, in, in his own way, he ends up giving Daryl a hand, doesn't he? And, and we have this kind of, I can't think of the word. What's the word when someone is kind of exhibiting the injuries that Christ... Stigmata. Uh, yeah, yeah, this kind of semi-stigmata moment. We talk about, you know, we set up that this guy's going to be this sacrificial, well, lamb, I guess, which we then also technically see later. And we 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 see he's got this hole in his hand and then we see that the knife drop to the floor before we go to those opening credits. Yeah, I love it. I got strong Terminator 2 vibes from that he'll live. And I don't know if that's foreshadowing or not, but he's getting closer and closer to killing Lance, isn't he? The Scarface, the, was it the arm in the last episode? Now it's his hand. He's getting there. Yeah, I just, I just love this because he lets him go and we think it's all over. And then he turns around and stabs him through the hand. Uh, I mean, Lance is the reason that both Leah and Marco are dead, as well as many others. So, you know, Daryl is highly reluctant to not kill him. Then he pulls the knife out as well. And just Negan's face as he did. There was a look from Negan of just like, yeah, you go for it, Daryl, which I really enjoyed. And then, yeah, I, as you said, the knife is dropped and there's just a cool shot of the focus is on the knife, but you can see Daryl walking through the troopers in sort of the sort of soft focus in the, the, the background, which I thought was lovely. And then we have the credits. Anything, Adam? Yeah, I've got a couple of bits that I spotted this time around, having had an, another look. Uh, there are troopers on the wall at Hilltop. So we've got the Commonwealth flags coming down, but you can also see troopers lining the walls at Hilltop. There's something new on the ground. There's one of the early moments where they're sort of scanning past a load of different things. And there's something sort of dome-shaped, I think, on the ground that I haven't been able to work out what it is yet. We get a red sun. I don't think we had that in the last episode. And then blood dripping down the words of The Walking Dead as well. I love just love how these evolve from episode to episode. And you spot new things. Great stuff. Yeah, very well noticed. All I noticed was the blood and that there was more blood this time round over the title sequence than what there was before. So I'm just assuming that's going to get bloodier. So we next get a meeting between the sort of heads of the of our gang. Carol's explaining the deal that she's made. So their debts are cleared and the Commonwealth will help them to rebuild their homes. And in exchange, she gets Hornsby as a scapegoat or a scape lamb, if you like, Damo. Nice. I just really enjoyed the next bit with Annie and Negan, like the expositional in case you've forgotten what happened earlier this year at the end of last year. Annie says, there's a lot to think about. And Negan says, like how they killed most of our people. Just really just hammer that home in case you've forgotten why Annie might not want to stay in the Commonwealth. <laughs> Well, there's so much going on, these little reminders are sometimes useful. But yeah. Now, Maggie, as Neil has already mentioned, Maggie says it's important that they're all together. So she's for this new deal. I mean, she says that, but it, it wasn't so important when she fucked off from the hilltop to go and film something else, was it? Maybe she's learned from that. Look, like any true leader, it's a case of do as I say, not as I do. So we next get Lance, who's tied up. He's trying to... Oh, Damo. Just the final bit of that scene, because we talked about it before when they looked to Daryl. Daryl, what are your thoughts on this? And what does he do? He picks up an apple. Daryl becomes the apple monitor again. <laughs> he's in. So we then cut to Lance, who's tied up, and he's goading Mercer, telling him that the soldiers aren't his men and that he better hop to it, soldier. He's being very cocky whilst tied up. We actually skipped over the fact that Mercer killed a walker on his way through to chatting to Daryl. And he kills another two walkers here. So that's three points for Damien. Hello. But Pamela tells him he's going to face trial and his life at the Commonwealth is over. She calls him an angry, delusional little boy and tells him that he's never been a player. Yeah, I also quite enjoyed Lance's line of, you never seem to have a problem with how I got the job done before. Yeah, yeah Pamela is clearly being disloyal to Lance because he's helped her so much in the past. And now, well, I suppose if you're going to choose between a slime bag like Hornsby and your son, he's also a slime bag. I guess you're going to choose your son. I mean, it just shows how politically minded she is. Yeah, I think for me, it showed the fact that she really is 
she's the big fish and he's just the little fish and she was happy for him to do her dirty work when it worked for her but now yeah she's just kind of putting him in his place and reminding him that she's the one that's really pulling the strings I think. So if Pamela's the big fish and Lance is the little fish who's the cardboard box? (laughs) (laughs) Sebastian right? I knew that was coming Yeah, Pamela is sinister, definitely. This this is kind of true colours now being shown. She is cold and out for maintaining power in whatever way that she can. Uh, Lance does say to her, you still need me. And he talks about these alliances that presumably he's quite key to maintaining. And I assume this is going to be something to do with the CRM down the line. Yeah, and I think also just the fifth column, as it were, if they end up going against each other, we then see later on in the episode, his little network of sparrows, use the Game of Thrones terminology. He just has all these things ready and locking him in a cell isn't going to stop it. I thought also, because we're coming up to Founders Day, which for me makes me think of America with the Founding Fathers and all of that. But also, I made a connection with the name Commonwealth. There's a connection with the British monarchy in the sense that you're not voted in to look after the Commonwealth. It's always Milton. It's always part of that family. And you've got Pamela trying to make sure that Sebastian is respected and that he can run the Commonwealth well after she's gone. Well, definitely. It espoused the same lie that we have here about the Commonwealth, or at least when we when it moved from empire to Commonwealth, that the wealth is in fact in no way common. It is taken for everyone and it is given to an elite few, which is kind of then backed up by what Sebastian says in the recorded speech. Yeah, he was born to rule the Commonwealth. And what I've started noticing more of as well, um, and I don't know if it was just in this last episode, but I was really aware of it. Whenever you've got Lance or the Miltons, the theme tune changes. So it goes into a much more sinister-esque theme tune which is something that I've never really noticed before so I found that really interesting. Speaking of the Miltons and Pamela she's kind of rescuing the situation with the crowds she's turning on her politician's charm again and then we get a scene and discussion between Eugene and Max. Max feels like she can't leave yet. Eugene's trying to persuade her to go with him. You showed me yours let me show you mine. What a lovely line. You show me your home I could show you mine. I mean, I don't know. Is is Eugene long for this world now? To know, I'm still scarred from when Adam showed me his. <laughs> Let's move swiftly on then. So we get Aaron and Maggie having a conversation. Aaron's off to talk to Oceanside and he's going to pop into Alexandria on the way. And then also Carol and Lydia have a conversation. Elijah pops up and that little budding romance has clearly developed a bit more. And she kind of gets Carol's blessing for that because obviously... She still thinks about Henry. We take happiness wherever we can. I think with Lydia and Elijah, I mean, immediately I thought, right, they're now wearing red jackets. They've got targets on their backs. I don't think anyone who got on that car is safe. I would be surprised if any of them get back. That shot we had of them all looking back on the as oh, God. One of them has to survive to tell everyone, but I'm not sure anyone else will. Yeah. It'll be Jerry. Do you think? Because Aaron did like utter the famous last words, we'll be back before you know it. There were so many character moments, weren't they? Like you were saying, Lydia and Carol. And whenever that happens, I'm just like, oh, okay, someone's going to die. So I, I, yeah, I think this is going to be some of their last goodbyes to people, which is really sad. Yeah, well, we had in the previous episode, Gracie talking about how her dad's amazing and really great. So, Adam, you picked Aaron last for this episode, didn't you? Yeah, he was my killer this episode, yeah. I'm not confident about the man with the iron fist making it back. No, Lydia was my death. And it was when she was having a conversation with Daryl and they were thanking each other for saving each other. That was the moment where I thought, yes, I'm going to get some points here. Sad as I was at the thought of Lydia leaving. But yeah, that wave, that wave goodbye as they're going off on the car was just like, my note was, they're not all coming back for show. Definitely not. I can't see them, though, killing off another one of Carol's children, in inverted commas. Like, I hope Lydia makes it. But yeah, the rest of them, I'm not so sure. Everything was tied up for Lydia, right? There's nothing left for her. Maybe she will sacrifice herself for Elijah and then Elijah's the one that makes it back. Because I I have a feeling 
that Jerry is going to go. I think Jerry is going to absolutely sacrifice himself for the common good. I get that. I think I think if Jerry sacrificed himself, he will remain a fan favourite as such an awesome character. Can I just check now? Do you think they'll get to Oceanside? Do you think we'll find out what's happened with Oceanside now? Or do you think that's coming? I definitely think that's coming. Because also in, in the trailers for the whole season, Oceanside has been seen. So we'll definitely see it. I think they'll get there. But whatever happens. My worry is, is that we won't actually see Oceanside next episode. I think they're going to get involved in a horrendous night of these variant walkers because the episode is called Variant. Oh, God. I don't know how many people are going to arrive. I think it's going to be one person on the back of that horse with no cart of food. To a whole load of bodies at Oceanside. Bleak as fuck. Yeah, tragic. Wow. Well, also in this section, we have our, our sort of dads and daughters mini section. After Aaron tells Gracie, I'll be back, uh, Daryl and Judith have a conversation and he offers her Rick's gun. She says she doesn't want it. She wants a better world where they don't have to fight anymore. Definitely channeling Michonne and, and other times when we've had this sort of debate and conversation in the past. How can they get to a point going back to Rick at the prison and him becoming a farmer? And Daryl just tells her to stop. Just, just stop. Just stop. Says it three times stop. over. Just, just stop. <laughs> Alan, stop. Got my hand up. I'm trying to say something. Yeah, that that's really interesting. And I think again, the Judith intros. She's kind of becoming the moral person within these last episodes within this story. And it's interesting that later on, she then takes up the gun again. But when she uses it, there's a huge amount of, what would you put it, almost pathos or sadness. The fact that she had to do it or chose to do it or she felt it was her role. I think that's going to continue. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw the gun in the last episode, like in the flash forward, and it's on the wall, hung up, kind of not use anymore, but just a reminder of how things were. She's reminding me of Carl so much. She just wants things to be better and um, wants things to be okay. We are jumping ahead. But I wonder if her finally using that gun in that way is that final vestige of innocence. As much as she's been savvy and involved in keeping the gang alive, there has been an element of protection and bubble wrapping around her. And that's it now. She's definitely 100% no longer a child. I think we should cover this bit at the end of the episode because we're, we're talking about it now. But I, I felt they were trying to sell us the tragedy of Judith choosing the gun, but it felt a little bit forced. She didn't need to do that then. There were plenty of other people. Daryl was there. Mercer was there they could have dealt with those walkers. So it was a little bit, for me, frustrating. It didn't feel forced to me because it's clearly part of her narrative and part of her journey. I work in a school where our mantra is behaviour is communication. That is part of her mental health. That is part of where her head's at. And also what we haven't touched on is she, when she was with Daryl, going back to where we were, she says that she wants to stay and she wants to help the people who are at the Commonwealth. That was her reason why she didn't want to leave. And for her, shooting the walker at the end is part of her wanting to help the Commonwealth. You know, she's got a very moral stance on what she wants to do. And that's also, as we go this episode, you know, she she runs away from Daryl. She disappears for, for a time because she wants to stay. She doesn't want to go. She She's very clear as to what she wants to do. And in many ways, taking on the things that Rick did, it, it, it's about looking after people. Let's go back to where we were in the episode and we'll, and we'll pick up on those other Daryl Judith moments. So Founders Day, Ezekiel and Carol having a conversation. He's got a rabbit. Did this come out of Carol's ass? <laughs> I'm sure many things have come out of Carol's ass, but we need to remember that Ezekiel used to be a zookeeper before the apocalypse. So the fact that he's involved with various animals makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I love that conversation that they had. And that was heartbreaking. Just so many, like I say, character moments. That, and it just, the, the only character I was missing was Princess in this. I seem to have been introduced to like all our major characters again. I'm just really missing 
see my princess moment. We'll see princess next episode based on the trailer. But also Ezekiel's also the same as Judith. He wants to stay and help. He wants to be a king again. And I love the idea. And I hope I get some bonus points if this happens. That once the Miltons leave, the Ezekiel will end up being king of the Commonwealth. Does that mean you're changing one of your survivor guesses to Ezekiel then? Possibly. Oh. I mean, I also had it written down that it's perfectly set up for Ezekiel to rule once once Pamela's gone. I just want to say I love the line, helping the folk of another kingdom before it falls apart. Just, it was a really gorgeous conversation. Between yeah. them. The other thing that was interesting, I know we talked about the bunny, but it was a goat that they very specifically had a shot up close of the, the gate opening, the goat going into the closure, and then it being closed again. And then, but a minute or two later, he did the same thing to allow three children into that same pen. So I wonder if this was another bit of symbolism that we have this, this goat or this sacrificial animal going into this pen, much like the Commonwealth people trapped in their pen. Nice. Do you think it was a scapegoat? The thing is, with goats, as much like sheep, you really have to keep your eyes open. <laughs> so I'm ten- not kidding around. Oh, goodness me. So Pamela's listening to a recording of the Commonwealth founder, presumably her father. We'd like to learn it's Sebastian's grandfather. And Sebastian's being a complete knob again. He doesn't want to read the speech and is just moaning and this blah, blah, blah conversation that happens here. Anyone want to comment on this at all? Or should we move swiftly on? Well, um, only the Max gives him some alcohol so it loosens his tongue. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes in, in between this, but we see Negan and Annie next having their sonogram. And I thought that this was going to make them want to stay at the Commonwealth, but Annie definitely doesn't want to. What I found interesting about that scene is that Negan, in pretty much all situations, has always wanted to protect people, whether that's been his people at the factory when he was the big baddie or whether it's been the survivors. And now he's got a kid and the fact that he's putting the kid first and he wants to make sure that Annie and the child are looked after properly. And that's what motivates him. And we've seen elements of this before, but it made it really clear for me. This scene in general, it was just foreshadowing for me, surely, right? Amniotic fluid, too high, blah, blah, blah. That's what I've got here, right? Probable generic unspecified pregnancy issue. So that's definitely going to kick in in an episode or two, which means, once again, Annie does not stand a chance. I think the last thing she says in that episode is, we don't need this place because it's us now. Oh, Annie. Poor, poor Annie. Annie, are you okay? Are you okay, Annie? No, she's not. She's not. And um, that was, it was so similar to getting the scan at Hillside with Maggie and Glenn as well. I kind of noted that. Um, so again, just full of foreshadowing. What do you think they'll call their baby if it gets that far? Do you think they thought of names? Lucille. Yes, you Lucille if it's a girl. Yeah. Be a bit weird though, wouldn't it? So why do you want to call it Lucille? Oh, so the love of my life uh, was called Lucille. And then, and then I had this bat that I killed people with that I also called Lucille. I think in the trailer for the whole of the last eight episodes that came out before they started, we see Negan making a new Lucille, a new bat with barbed wire on it. Hopefully called Annie, right? Negan repeats the words of his father, your life is not your own once you have kids. It's never the same. Just wanted to say true dat before moving on. True dad. Uh, we see Daryl packing up. He's putting his vest on, which reminds him of Judith, who fixed his vest. And RJ is reading an Invincible comic. This is a Robert Kirkman comic book, which I wondered whether it was anachronistic. I can't remember whether Invincible started before The Walking Dead TV show started or not, or whether Robert Kirkman is somewhere alive in the zombie apocalypse somewhere. That is an amazing spot. I didn't even register that. I was too busy getting excited about the waistcoat being back on. He now is definitely 100% not a stormtrooper anymore. The waistcoat is back on. He's Daryl the Badass. Yeah, bittersweet that moment as well, because he'd hung up his wings. He'd kind of thought he was having a bit of a safer existence in the Commonwealth. And now he's going to be back to what life was like before. RJ is a terrible liar, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want him to be covering for you. Daryl and Carol go out looking for Judith, who's gone missing, um, and they talk about Rick and Sophia and making decisions as a parent. Lots of stuff in this episode about parenthood and, and kids and stuff. 
We then get Max and Eugene. She feels guilty and frustrated. They're going to see Lance in his cell. Eugene just wants them to be safe, but she gets him to ask Lance for information. It was it felt a little bit naive, this, and Lance gives them short shrift. He doesn't give them anything, tells them to live with it, unless they're willing to burn the whole thing down, and he knows about Max hiding in plain sight. Yeah, that was their own little secret espionage, wasn't it? I, I wasn't quite sure why Lance, what his motivation was with telling them, you know, to side with Pamela. I didn't know if that was genuine because she is very powerful or if that's just his own little plan that he's got going on and that serves him best for them to do that. The thing is, he's clearly still very much in control. He's got his guy and the woman and he's obviously set up this plan of killing the workers to turn into zombies and then letting them out and he manages to signal from his cell so I think he feels very much still in control of where things are going and he doesn't necessarily want Max and Eugene to to muddy the waters I think so and I think it's also just the 4D chess of it all is that if he knows that Eugene and, and Max have a tendency to not like the Miltons, it just gives him another card to play should he find himself in a situation down the road. We go, well, actually, you know, when I was in jail, they came to me to try and find a way to get rid of you, and I told them no. But what's also interesting about this, I think, is that we see that Eugene is pretty much willing to do anything for Max, maybe even give his life. And we have another apple. This time, a candied apple is given. Absolutely horrible looking sugar fest there. Of all the things, it was an apple again that was given. Well, talking about food, firstly, when Hornsby bites the apple, it was very reminiscent of a walker biting a person. Juices running down his chin, etc. But I'd also like to say that Mrs. Beeson has contacted me and sent me her ambrosia, which was very tasty. So thank you very much for that. Very good. We next get Father Gabriel preaching to nobody in his church and Rosita and Coco arrive. Gabe's returned to God. He's found God again, left him in one of the pews, I imagine. And Rosita tells him that he will have a legacy at the Commonwealth, even if he's no longer there, that he he has helped people. And this felt a little bit like tying up of Father Gabriel's story, almost. Yes, I think it was a tying up. He even mentions, didn't he, it was his last sermon or something like that. And his story does seem to have gone full circle i know you mentioned before neil about the rosita kind of fan theory i don't think that will happen but i'm much more likely i think to see gabriel dying before rosita and coco or at least i hope so i hope so as well but too many times i have been burned by the bulletproof father gabe i think he is going to survive rosita just looks like a light has gone out there she looks so i mean admittedly it's because she's probably got a baby she's absolutely fucking exhausted and she's also a soldier in, in the apocalypse. But it feels like something has gone from Rosita. And I just, ugh. I mean, just thinking about so much about her story and how much badass she was throughout this show and how cool she's been. I think it's going to be Rosita that goes. And I think Father Gabe is somehow going to stay on. And then Father Gabe's story is him then either being left with the baby or mourning the loss of Rosita and the baby which is obviously horrendous because Rosita should live and Father Gabe should die, giving me five points. We next get the Commonwealth workers talking about the lottery. We're in... Well, before we do that, there's a noise in the vestry and we see... Now, my question for you guys is, what was Judith doing there? She's found one foot on the pew... One foot on the ground. There's books everywhere and the window is open. Is she climbing through the window? Was she trying to climb up the books to, to do something with it? What happened? Because she looked guilty as sin when the door opened. She was clearly looking for somewhere to hide. And the fact that she goes to a church could be symbolic of what's going on in her head, that she's trying to work out what the right thing to do is. Yeah, searching for some knowledge to guide her, maybe, in those books. But next we get the Commonwealth workers discussing the lottery. A little reminder of the fact that on Founders Day, somebody wins passage to the elite from the working classes. And then Roman and Stefani show up and rather cheesily signal to each other that it's time to kill these people and unleash some walkers on Founders Day. One of the big flaws in the Commonwealth, obviously, is if someone dies within the grounds, then you've got a whole mess happening 
And that's clearly part of Hornsby's plan. Like that, that's been set up. Kill them so that we can then release walkers. And yet another further assessment on the American dream, right? These poor workers, these indentured servants for the best of intents, set that all up, weren't able to enjoy the fruits of their labour so that everyone else could. And then they're killed for it when they're deemed no longer useful or their death is more useful than their life. Yeah, far too real, (laughs) that whole situation and talking about the lottery and talking about potentially winning. And I know we'll get to it later, but it's that final quote at the end of the show as well, linked very much into that about the rich and what they can do. So next up is the Daryl and Judith scene that we've touched on already. I mean, they're just so cute together, aren't they? It always warms my heart just to see them having a conversation. I thought this was the best of the the Daryl and Judith scenes i think we even managed to get some daryl stuff that we hadn't got before stuff that had been hinted at was explicitly dealt with i thought the way he was just so honest and open with judith about his inability or his struggle to be one of her primary caregivers was beautiful but then the opening up about how he used to find a space to get away from his dad until his dad had fallen asleep so we find out that his dad was not necessarily a great man or his dad had some troubles that affected family life which then having seen Merle earlier in the episode reminds you of because there were moments when Merle wasn't a bad dude you could just tell that he was damaged and it's just that Merle stayed there for whatever reason, maybe stayed there to take the brunt of things so Daryl could run away or whatever it was. But just, yeah, like I said, this made me think about Merle again. It was really nice to remember characters that have left the series now. And I think we're pretty sure we're going to see Rick Grimes at some point. So maybe they're pairing us for previous characters returning. Yeah, I hope the Rick Grimes appearance isn't just the ones in the flashbacks. But um, did we talk about this? The fact that Carol actually mentions Rick's name in this episode. I think it's when they're looking for Judith, the fact that Rick isn't here. So I feel it's getting closer. It's within reach. I wouldn't be surprised if the very last shot is Rick walking into a, a completely destroyed Commonwealth and like, Rick, where have you been? And you go, well, funny you should say that. Cut to black. And then the next thing we see are his and uh, Michonne spin off mini films or he walks into a fully restored commonwealth with ezekiel as the leader in that conversation that daryl and carol have daryl asks carol what would he do and i wonder whether he needs a little wristband with that on his (laughs) anyway we get to pamela again in her office she leaves as sebastian still being a bit of a douchebag and this is when max records him and gives him a loosens his lips with some alcohol and he, he certainly delivers what she was hoping for. I wrote down the line, maybe you just choose to be an asshole. If everyone else expects it, who is left to disappoint? I mean, I am here. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> we then see Power Founders Day as a wrestling match. Now, in the comic books, this was a football match. American football. What I think is great about the choice of a wrestling match is it's fake. It's purely entertainment. And so... It kind of just seems so perfect. They were putting on fake entertainment for the Commonwealth masses to subdue them, to keep them happy. But in this case, no one was going to die. And that worked really well when suddenly walkers come out and people are properly going to die. It's a great choice. It's a much better choice than American football, I have to say, because obviously in and of itself, it's classic bread and circuses stuff. But also the way in which the WWE particularly is used in terms of uh, calming the masses, that idea of here is this champion, he's outnumbered, how could he possibly beat these two people? But it's okay because this supermensch is from the Commonwealth. And so the Commonwealth can be anything as long as it focuses. And then, of course, it gives us that opportunity for when it finishes, for him to chant Commonwealth, Commonwealth, Commonwealth and everyone else to just blindly chance it back, including our Judith. Yeah, no, I found that really interesting. Daryl didn't, but Judith seemed to be really getting into it, which surprised me because I thought from what we've seen that she's aware of kind of the games that are being played. Yeah, I wondered if that's why Daryl, because he snapped at her, didn't he, really early on in the episode as well. I just don't 
think she realizes how dangerous a situation is that they're in. Eugene then plays the tape of the recording of Sebastian and everything kicks off. Sebastian chases after Max. Mercer has to stop the troopers from firing on the crowd. Don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just quickly, Basti's speech. I thought he actually did quite a good job. I mean, it was very dramatic, the dropping of the speech. And hey, guys, actually, I'm going to speak from the heart, guys. But I thought it was solid, which is why it made that moment of, hey, hit the tape so much more enjoyable because it just even more of a rug being pulled from under him. Absolutely. Uh, for me, I thought it was as fake as the wrestling match. I was cringing all the way through. I, like, I just thought, oh, he's such a vile little person setting himself up as this leader of the Commonwealth. And then I just really loved Max's turnaround for the tip because that's exactly how I was feeling. I was like, yes, pull the rug from underneath him. I think all of us loved Seb's rug being pulled from under him I kind of respected him a little bit in the sense that he had a speech that had been written for him and then he spoke from the heart and he was doing his best to live up to his grandfather and live up to his mother and to do the right thing based on his birthright so I don't have an issue with the speech made however it's not him it is fake or maybe it's not fake what he actually said but then Obviously, we, we see what happens afterwards. And then we are treated to possibly the worst TV chase that has ever happened between Sebastian and Max. I, I don't understand how useless is he? <laughs> <laughs> this was the best few minutes of the episode for me. I just had so much tension. I love the camera angles as well, the kind of shot of him while he was running. But yeah, I just, I did not know what was going to happen in those final minutes. I thought, okay, Neil might be right with Max. Then I thought it was on Eugene. Absolutely, like, kept me guessing all the way. I loved it. So a couple of key things that happen. Uh, Pamela's asking Mercer to protect her, not deal with the uh, walkers. And Daryl loses Judith. She sees a walker coming towards her, although it did feel like it was quite far away. And Daryl kills it, giving a point to Neil, I think. Mercer kills a couple of walkers, and then Judith kills one. And then we get this final moment where Sebastian throws Max towards a walker and Eugene dives in and knocks it back to Sebastian. So just before we talk about those... Sorry, um, Danny, you might need to say that again. Those fireworks going off in my street. So it sounded like gunfire, Neil. No, no. Yeah, I, I was. South Central London. Gang, gang. The, the thing for me, I, I loved Mercer's line of, my job is to protect the Commonwealth, Mom, rather than to protect her... But then equally, how how big is this plaza? He runs off and it takes him forever to get to these zombies. I'm like, boom, point central here. Mercer's going to do an absolute number on these 15 zombies. It just took him forever and he eventually got there and he killed two of them because somehow everyone else had managed to kill them, which I found very disappointing. But I was a big fan of the... I've got to get this right for this joke to work. Apologies. The extra judicial killings. I think he should get extra points for how good his butt looks in his armour. He had quite a few shots of that. So how many points is that, Adam? There are no extra points for, for that, I'm afraid. But you've, you've, got a, you've got a decent haul from Mercer as your killer this week, Damo. Well done. Um, so yeah, Bastian gets, gets bit and Judith kills the walker. Speaking of points, five points for Chloe, our first correct death prediction of these eight episodes. Yeah, shit happens, Bastian. I'm so glad. I'm <laughs> so glad. I was so confident someone was going to shoot that zombie before he was actually bit, so I was very relieved and satisfied about that. You were lucky because there was so much faffing around. It was like the laziest tussle I've ever seen between a human being and a zombie. Like, the zombie could have bitten him a good two minutes earlier. And he was kind of like half beating the zombie off, so to speak. I was worried that somehow he was going to get out of it. We need to remember that this was all set up by Hornsby. The shooting of the workers and the releasing them as... I don't know what they call them in the Commonwealth, biters, walkers, zombies, whatever. In the melee of it all and the rush and the chaos, did anyone else spot Nabila? No. I'm pretty sure we saw Nabila very briefly, which worries me even more for the big man. Do you think if Jerry is going to depart, 
this world, Nabila will either be left a widow or will go with him. Someone's got to think of the children. They need one of the <laughs> adults there. I just loved how, like you're saying, there's lots of chaos and lots of stuff going on, but then everyone just stops to watch <laughs> it happen. Um, forget about the zombies that are chasing and they all just stop and watch, uh, which I thought was funny. I thought it was really interesting that nobody tried to help. Yeah, I am um, kind of, that's how I thought if anything, Sebastian would go. I thought it would be that mob mentality of literally pe the people, the human beings would be ripping him apart if he was kind of thrown to them. So I, I found that really interesting that everyone just stood and watched. And wasn't it heartbreaking that Judith at the end had to be the one to kind of stop everything? So any final thoughts on this episode before we move on to the sweepstake? Damo? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about the the repeated recording of of what Basti had said, which I thought was really powerful. I haven't got all of it. The start of the speech, I think, is the Commonwealth is built on buying into bullshit. The desperate need to believe that the old American dream is still real. Then he says some stuff. And then he says, it's a friggin' joke. The reality is that the poor stay poor so the rich can do whatever the hell we want. Blackout. Yeah, it was. It was really powerful. I, I liked when he, whenever he says like friggin' joke and that cat, that always reminded me of Dr. Evil, like the, the sharks with the friggin' laser beams. <laughs> so uh, let's do points then. No points for me this week after my stellar week last week. Neil, you got one point for uh, Daryl Kill. Damien, you got five points for Mercer as your killer. And Chloe, five points for Sebastian as your death. That puts us at Neil on one point, Chloe and Damien tied on second place with seven points each, and me on ten. Points are really low this series. Yeah, so far. Damien, you are up first for this week. Give us your killer and your first death. I wonder if it's possible before we do. I did have this up. There, There is a bit of blurb about Variant, which is the name of the episode for us to read out. Yeah, it's quite short. So episode 19 is titled Variant. Eugene goes on the run and Mercer is tasked to find him. Aaron's group faces a complication on the road. Very good. So that will be the Variant zombies then, one assumes. Definitely. Unless Eugene has cloned himself somehow in the background and the, the, the Variant is, is Eugene too, or to Gene. Oh, oh, lovely. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit worried about an army made of former incels. This is what Eugene definitely was pre-Max. Yes, so I'm going to go for Killer Aaron. And not surprising to anyone, I'm going to go for Death Lydia. Very good. Yeah, not surprising at all. Neil, over to you. I'm going to go for Death Aaron and I'm going to go for Kills Lydia. Interesting. Very, very good. I am, oh gosh, my death is going to be Elijah. And I think my killer, oh, I'm going to go for Jerry as my killer. Chloe. Okay, I'll go Killer Elijah. And first death, I'm sorry, Adam, I'm going to go Jerry. Okay, good, good stuff. Damien, back to you. So my second death, and I still don't quite believe it will happen because they've just made it too obvious. I'm going to say Eugene. I think he's going to literally be the fall guy for Sebastian's death. That doesn't surprise me because I honestly think Pamela, I mean, we've seen what happens when parents lose their children in this universe. I think she's going to go full Cersei Lannister and try and get Eugene's blood. And I also think Eugene will sacrifice himself for Max now that he has the woman of his dreams, in order to make sure she's safe. You know, it's a far better thing I do now than I have ever done before and all that jazz. So, Neil, your second death then. Rosita. Ooh, Dios mio. This is something I always like to do whenever Damien hasn't predicted Father Gabriel. <laughs> <laughs> so, Father Gabriel is my second death. Question. Yes, Dante. What we decided to the left, to the left. I'm hoping we'll get to Oceanside at one of them by the end of the episode. And if they see Rachel in a zombie form, does that count as a death or not? No. Okay. If it's not on screen, it doesn't count as a death. I see. Okay. Then in that case, I will go Roman Calhoun as my second death. Nice. Always a good shout picking a minor character. Okay, so that's it. We'll see what happens next week in The Walking Dead. Do let us know what you think of the episode or make your own sweepstake predictions at TV DNA Pod on all social media. 
Has anyone got anything else they've been watching that they want to talk about? I have got through a bit more episodes of Ghosts and there was a sucking off, shall I say, demo? Is that what you were referring to? Oh my goodness me, what a moment that was. I just would never expect that person to get sucked off. And oh, it made me realise actually how I love that character. Yeah, definitely. I, I've i only got a few episodes left. I, I don't know where it's going to end, but it's been a really good series. I've preferred this series to the last one. And yeah, it's been a really beautiful few episodes so far. So I'm excited to see how the next few end. Yeah, I'm, I'm a few more episodes into season one of Ghosts and really enjoying it. Are ways to go to catch up, but I'll get there eventually. Yeah, I've finished The Walk-In with National Treasure Stephen Graham. Definitely watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. It's worth sitting through the horrendous, horrendous ad breaks on the ITV hub. I know, Adam, there was a particular advert that upset you. I have to mute the David Schwimmer TSB ad whenever it comes on and look away from the screen and just look back in a couple of minutes because it's just so offensive. You don't have this problem on iPlayer. I have no idea which advert you're talking about. Yeah, sounds pretty cringe. Also, I'm, I'm about halfway through the walk-in now. And yeah, it's 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 brutal and it's terrifying, but it is a, it's a good watch. Well made. Yeah, especially because it's on things that actually happened, which makes it truly, truly terrifying. Yeah, the other thing I've been watching is The Power of the Ring, the Amazon Lord of the Rings show. Oh, God. I'm watching it because Raluca loves it. I am enjoying moments of it, but there are some narrative choices made that I find really, really hard to get on board with. Yeah, I started watching that because I am a fan of the the books and I'm a bit disappointed at how kind of weak I feel they've made the elves because usually elves are badass. And I know we've got an amazing like female protagonist and the fact is, you know, she's supposed to be badass but she can still be badass without you kind of making them weaker so that's my gripe my main gripe with that yeah I gave up on that as well although I will say I have been following Andor and I'm really looking forward to chatting with Adam about that sorry Andor what <laughs> yeah mixed feelings about I get exactly what you're saying about Power of the Rings I mean I think it's visually stunning I'm thoroughly enjoying just the visuals of it and I just wish the story the plot was a little bit stronger in there i think they're all quite interesting characters in and of themselves but it's just kind of it's taking a long time to get a short distance because i've only recently started watching and on twitter it kind of went viral with the opening of them turning round and they did it to like a kath and kim theme tune but that's not on mine anymore so has has that stopped demo <laughs> that's brilliant that uh so that was just a promotional video of I think mostly the, the Harfoots, but then also some of the other elves and humans and stuff, and maybe some dwarves. That was just some classic cheesy bit of uh, marketing for that. So you won't find that anywhere near the show, thankfully. So I've been watching The Bear on Disney+. Plus. This is the gritty and authentic tale of a Chicago beef sandwich shop and the people who work in it. There's a really soulful performance by blue-eyed muscular Jeremy Allen White in this show is very, very good in it. Eben Moss Backrack, no relation I have checked, it's Backrack rather than Backerack, is a lovable asshole. Uh, the rest of the cast are largely new finds, but it's peppered, much like the beef sandwiches, with star cameos from people like Molly Ringwald and Oliver Platt. They are bite-sized 30-minute episodes packed with drama, humour and food, and I think this is going to be in the Emmys conversation next year. I'd just like to say those those puns that you made, Adam, were absolutely delicious. Thank you, I worked hard on those. Also started watching The Midnight Club on Netflix. This is a young adult show by Mike Flanagan who made Midnight Mass, one of my favorite shows from last year, about terminally ill teens at a special haunted hospice. Like most teen shows, it's largely about working out who they are and how to handle life. But the twist of them also working out how to handle their death gives it an added poignancy and power. In each episode, one of the members of the club tells a ghost story. So you have these mini ghost stories within each within each episode. Uh, that works, I think, really, really well. It's multi-layered. It's well-written, strong overall on quality. 
thoroughly enjoying Midnight Club. Yes, I am a big fan of Haunting of Hill House. That was as close to perfection as horror can get for me. I didn't actually realise it was a Mike Flanagan show. And I saw the Midnight Club. It was in my top 10. It was recommended for me. Started watching it, thought it was a teenage drama and then all of a sudden the horror came and I was just not prepared for it at all and I've since found out it has the Guinness world record for the number of jump scares in the first episode it's completely blindsided me I'm only one episode in but I just loved it because I didn't expect that at all I'm not a horror fan but from what you just said that sounds like anyone who is a horror fan will absolutely love it I think so I think so anything he does Mike Flanagan I am a fan of his horror stuff and he's usually doesn't go too tropey with it he usually tries to do quite original things speaking of horror uh, I also watched last night Werewolf by Night on Disney Plus which is a Marvel special presentation they've called it it's a one-off one hour long show and it's in the style of a sort of 30s 40s b-horror black and white film basically tells the story of jack well there's there's a big famous monster hunter that's died and there's a a competition to win his bloodstone which gave him his powers so a load of monster hunters turn up and they have to survive a night in the grounds of the house and uh, with each other and this monster i really enjoyed it gabriel garcia banal Oh, he's an awesome actor. Yeah, he plays he plays Jack, whose full name is Jack Russell, the eponymous werewolf by night. But there's a really brilliant appearance by a classic Marvel monster uh, that is just brilliantly done. Nice touches of humour in there. And I want to say Jennifer, but I don't think it is. I think it's her name is Laura Donnelly. Uh, Irish actor Laura Donnelly, who's in The Nevers, which I have never seen. She plays Elsa Bloodstone, the daughter of the deceased monster hunter, and is very good in it as well. So yeah, highly recommend that for a a diverting hour-long watch, maybe close to Halloween. I've got one show that's coming soon, if I can just quickly sneak that in. Shantaram comes to Apple TV on Friday the 14th of October. This is about the fugitive Lynn Ford looks to get lost in chaotic 1980s Bombay, alone in an unfamiliar city. Lynn struggles to avoid trouble, but falls for an enigmatic woman and must choose between freedom and love and the complications that come with it. Grand, I also saw yesterday on Now TV a trailer for Series 2 of Gangs of London, which I believe is coming out on the 20th of October, uh, which I thought was a bit of a hit and miss TV show. There were some really good performances in there. Fan favourite of ours, Papa City is in it again, along with some Peaky Blinders and some other great people. Fantastic. Well, we are going to be back very shortly with our next house of the dragon episode and our next walking dead episode and then we've got i think one more episode we're going to watch before we do an and or episode so we'll be coming stop that we'll (laughs) how often are we going to be coming home we'll be coming into your ears more often over the next few weeks can't wait who's got the best sign off this week i don't know if it's the best but i have one that i've been dying to say for ages r.i.p jerky mcjerkface so happy. I'll take happiness wherever I can. I need to look through all my quotes now. I mean, you don't. Could you say goodbye? I could, couldn't I? Goodbye. Bye. Don't just Google variant. You'll get all sorts of COVID stuff. It's really, really disheartening. Is it? Are you done? No, I'm not. I just need to cough.